0: What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Whitetail Bloodline Podcast. I'm your host, Gavin Sauter. We've got my trusty co-host on this one, Angelo. What's
1: going on, brother? Nothing much, man. Just happy to be back on the pod. It's been a while, so... You, yeah, you've been been working too hard, man. I know. It's... You gotta do what you gotta do, but this should yeah. be a good one. I'm excited for this. Yeah, so we got uh, Dreamland Wildlife
0: Properties, Kyle Perry on this one, and it's kind of a BSS. We talk about his... Uh, company that he has and then we dive into Angela's property and my property and a whole lot in between it was a it was a fun conversation wasn't it
1: oh yeah great guy super knowledgeable you could just tell he sort of all invested into his company and just invested into the environment in general so it was a uh, good talking with this guy yeah uh, then without further ado man let's just get into this and let the people hear kyle talk let's go
0: Kyle, for people who don't know who you are, let's just do a little background, who you are, what you're doing, and uh, after that, maybe what led you from your passion, because i assume you have a passion for hunting in the outdoors to be doing what you're doing, and then uh, how that led you to Dreamland Wildlife Properties.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, Kyle Perry, owner and founder of Dreamland Wildlife Properties. I've been officially in business for four years now. A little background history. I started out racing motocross at a very young age, uh, four years old, actually. And had a motocross career until I was 13 years old. Uh, my parents came to me one weekend and said, "Kyle, you're either gonna make this and go pro at it, or you know we're gonna have to close up shop, and you're gonna have to find a new uh new thing to do on the weekends." So I spent a whole weekend sitting out by a pine tree, bawling my eyes out, not knowing the decision to make. Uh, you know, didn't really want to uproot my parents and. Brother from school, leave half my family here in Michigan at, you know, 13 years old. It was a very tough decision. Still today, probably one of the hardest ones I've made. Um, but yeah, I spent, spent the whole weekend there by the pine tree and came to the conclusion that I could not bring myself to uproot my family and move down south to Florida or Texas and, and race full time. So I <clears throat> closed up shop and the motocross track got bulldozed that next weekend. And that's, that's where the journey began with the passion of the outdoors. Um,
0: wow, that's crazy. Four wow. years old, that's young. I had some cousins that were big into motocross out in Utah.
2: Oh, really? Yeah.
0: So, so they weren't, they weren't like down, crazy man. good. They were decent. They were like way better than I was on a, a bike, I can tell you that, you know.
2: That's, this is awesome. Very nice to uh, get on and talk with you guys. It's exciting to, uh, you know, get on the podcast and kind of hear what you guys do as well. Um, yeah. you know, follow each oh, yeah. other on social media. But yeah, so I guess, you know, at a young age, I was in the blind with my dad. I can remember waking up from naps and asking him, hey, dad, did you see anything? You know, just the excitement of <laughs> of being in the outdoors, sharing that passion with my dad was truly what got me started in this business. Yeah, that's awesome.
0: So you, uh, from 13 years old, were you hunting before that? Were you already, or did you start gaining that passion after you are like, yeah, motocross, it's, it's not the path.
2: It was yeah. It was really after motocross because motocross spent you know all my evenings and every single weekend, even through this, the the winter, we'd go down to Florida every other weekend or Florida, Georgia, somewhere south where it was good weather and 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 race every weekend. You know, just you had to keep on, uh, you know, the get getting on the bike and just being in the in the race. You couldn't. It's not a sport that you can start and stop and be good at it. Yeah, for sure. This is full. It's full go. Yes, a hundred percent.
1: And you're from Michigan, right?
2: Yes, yeah, southern, south central Michigan, right near Michigan International Speedway.
0: Okay, yep. Yeah. Michigan—that's one of the best heritage states for hunt, man. It goes back a long time over there.
2: Very long. I think there's a there's some statistic that we're like one of the third largest armies when with all the outdoorsmen that go out hunting on opening <laughs> day.
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. I'm not sure if I got out. the number right, but. It's close yeah. to that.
0: One of these days, I'm going to make it out to Michigan. Every time I tell them, like, why are you going to go to Michigan? Like, I just want to experience it. I want to hunt every state for a white tail. That's my goal, you know?
2: Yes. So yeah. yeah Michigan, I would...
0: Michigan's great.
2: Michigan really offers two different styles of hunting. You know, up north, you're in the big woods. There's vast, open, big hardwoods. Down south, you get a lot of mix of, you know, good ag fields, rolling hills from the glaciers, and a good mix of, of hardwoods within all of that as well. Okay. Man. So let's kind of
0: get into the dream the Dreamland Wildlife Properties. I know your your slogan, I guess that's what you call it is uh we bring the habitat for wildlife to you. So like what does that mean for you, Kyle?
2: We bring the habitat for wildlife to you means you know we want to do everything on your property that that meets your goals and expectations for it with encompassing wildlife. We we really wanna you know, site specific look at what wildlife can can be held and maintained in that ecosystem that you that you is your own piece of heaven. So um taking into consideration of ecosystem management and really looking at the different wildlife species that can thrive in those different environments. And and, and we truly you just, oh, sorry, you're good. Oh uh, we truly believe that you know if you can build the habitat the wildlife will then come and thrive. Yeah you know, can kind of came from the field of the dreams a lot of people told me exactly. that I was dreaming when I wanted to wanted to own my own business. So it was that, that same kind of tagline. If we build it, they will come. Well, we bring the habitat for wildlife to you.
0: Yep. And that sounds like a lot like Angelo. I know you awesome. can talk about this because this is kind of what Angelo is doing. Angelo, if you want to kind of talk oh, about God. your property, I, but Kyle, that's kind of what yeah. I was thinking we could do on this property. We're going to talk about what you do and then maybe, talk about mine and Angelo's properties a little bit and see if we're doing something right. And then, uh,
1: what we could do to make the property be even better.
2: Absolutely. I look forward to, to hearing about these properties. Yeah. So
1: yeah. everything that you were saying with sort of having that diversity and bringing sort of those native plants and Forbes back to the ecosystem that you have, that's, it was, it was giving me goosebumps. Cause I'm like, yes, this man, this man's <laughs> talking, talking what I like to hear. So, you know, yes, for I... me,
2: Go for it. Oh, I was going to say, I, I love ecosystem management and really, really putting together a good habitat for wildlife with utilizing native natural resources.
1: That's awesome. So before we get into that, like, what's your more popular clientele? Like, are they smaller parcels or are they sort of closer, to like 100 acre parcels? What do you sort of
2: work That's with the a most? That's a very frequently asked question, to be quite honest. Um, I've worked anywhere from two and a half acres, you know, uh, on a property that's suburb city all the way up to my largest property that I currently manage is 1,700 acres.
1: Wow. That's some wow. diversity right there. That's crazy. Yes. That's awesome. So what's yeah. your what's your favorite type of parcel? Like, Which, which one do you prefer to work with?
2: Every single parcel is, is my favorite. You know, when you can show up because each different parcel and each different landowner has their own goal and dream for that specific land. So each mm-hmm. one of those are, are, you know, very special to me that, you know, I, I want their dream to come true with the property that they purchased and the vision that they had for it when they walked that property for the first time.
0: I love that's that. Awesome. And that's awesome. That's, that's going through your page. And I was going through your website and stuff. Uh, yeah, that's just what I love about you, man, just that you're you're willing to work with these two-acre properties, which I would assume a lot of companies probably won't, because they'd say it's not worth their time and everything, but like yeah. you said, some people might only have two acres, and this is their dream property they've been saving up for, who knows, 10 years, and they're just trying to make that their slice of heaven, so I love that you're willing to do that, and you're willing to help these 1,700 yeah. acres that are obviously a lot more manageable, you know?
2: Yes, yeah, so yeah, there's a lot more to manage on 1,700 acres, and you know, it's, it's all breaking it all down into a, a plan and, and, you know, you can't bite off the whole elephant at once on that big of a piece of property. You got to kind of break it down into yearly incremental goals for that piece of property matched out with phases and also defining the budget that the landowner has. You can't, can't just go all in without the, the landowner being, you know, all on board with it, whether it's his budget, um, his goals for the land and, you know, what his ultimate plan is with it going forward in the future. Yeah,
0: and yeah. with the different properties and with the different landowners, owners, I would assume every plan you make is completely different, right?
2: Yes, there are core, you know, things that I stick with with the ecosystem, mm-hmm. but each property has its own specific plan that that matches that landowner's goals and desires, and and ultimately reaching their dream land. But everything is every. All, every property plan is totally different it has kind of the same core values with it and Mm -hmm. in kind of different areas but each property lays out totally different whether it's your entry exit points stand locations bedding areas crp uh, native grasses and forbs food plots or all the way to timber stand improvement yep and yeah i've
0: i've came to notice that too because i have a 27 acre uh, family property that we have going on 10 years and i used to be able to hunt neighbors on both sides and it's pretty crazy because it's not that far apart they're almost all split up in about 30 acre chunks so i could hunt roughly about it was about 60 acres 70 acres in that whole area and i would get bucks that were only a few hundred yards away on the other property that would only go through that property and they
1: would never come through my family property
2: you know really wow that's pretty cool that is very cool
1: Kyle, I'm glad that you mentioned like taking the management plan in little bits and pieces because, you know, I just I just purchased the property last year and it can be overwhelming when you're thinking about all those different things that you have to sort of tackle, At you know, over that maybe five or ten year plan. So the fact yes. that you're mentioning that, that's one thing that I always, you know, tell individuals, hey, look at it, little pieces and try not to get super overwhelmed with all the changes that you need to make.
2: Definitely not. Yeah, you do not want to look at the big picture and get yourself overwhelmed. That's that's very easy to do with I think anything in life. You, you know, at that is, yeah, you got to kind of create those big goals for the land and then break them down into incremental goals that that truly define and match what you want to get out of the property.
1: Yeah. So what's so what's the first thing? So if you're going into a property, what's that first thing that you tend to sort of? management plan towards? Is it removing invasives? I know it's, it differs between properties, but what's your sort of go-to template that you go towards?
2: My, so if I was, if you guys were to hire me for a property consultation, I would, I would set up a one full day with you, depending on how many acres you have. And we can walk, let's call it a 40 acre parcel. We okay. could walk that same 40 acres, you know, six, eight times until we really walk through and figure everything out. And I'm really trying to get to know the landowner, that that first interaction. How do they hunt it? Where do they see the deer? Where do they see most of their bucks? Where do they see a lot of their does? Um, where do they find their sheds? Um, all those different things, you know, just getting as much intel as I can on that property the, the first visit. And then really listening to that landowner talk about what do they want to get out of it. And as they're talking about all those different things throughout the property tour, I'm really thinking about... How do I manage this ecosystem better to meet this landowner's goals for his property?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. I, gl- I love how you're just, you're mentioning it every time that you're talking right now. It's like you're listening to the landowner and that's, yes. that's what it's all about, which is awesome.
2: Yes. It's at the end of the day, it's his land, it's his dream. And, yeah. you know, I'm just there to play a small part and really, you know, help him get what he wants out of it.
0: Yes. yeah so i'd I'd assume you you probably get some clientele that are some newer hunters sometimes that don't really know what they're doing so they're kind of getting you to like hey i need help with this and do you also get some of those diehard guys that still like hey i'm a diehard white dog i've been hunting for many many years but i i'm not very good on the land management side is there like both sides of it
2: yeah absolutely there's guys that you know come out of the city and I don't want to you know categorize people but hey now <laughs> you know, wait a minute well you know growing up in concrete and and kind of you know not getting to have that touch with nature you you do miss a lot of that those natural instincts yeah I get both both sides if I get guys that are just getting started in hunting and I get guys that want to hire me for a fresh you know set of eyes they've been doing the same thing for call it 20 years and you, you kind of, you miss those things when you kind of become complacent on that parcel of property you've been hunting for such a long time.
0: Yep. I, I'm a, the epitome of that because I've been hunting this property 10 years. I know the property extremely well, but this year uh, making a new goal, I was going to do a bunch of door knocking in Indiana and go chase a, a giant Indiana buck, but I'm going to stick on my 27 acre property and try to kill a buck on that because it's not going to be in our family a whole lot longer. My parents are going to end up selling it. So I'm going to try to do that. And I think that'd be a cool segue. we we'll kind of start with Angelo's talk about his property sure. and uh, his plans and see just like uh, what, what you could help and what you're thinking. And then we'll go into my property because Angelo you're on what year two with your property.
1: Yeah. This is my uh, second year. Yep. Yeah. So we'll talk year. about here
0: and I'm on year 10. So I've been doing a lot of stuff, but I don't have that like actual straight scientific knowledge like you guys do. And Angelo's got a cousin that's real into it too. So he's got a lot of knowledge behind that
1: too. So yeah. Angela, if you want to start talking about yours and uh, let's just see where it takes us. Yeah. So I'm in Illinois. So I'm in Northwest Illinois. It's pretty hilly country out by me. I have 45 acres. uh, 20, it's about 25 of it is ag field and then about 20 is timber. So um, my big thing going into it is I'm not going to make changes until I, you know, hunt it for a year. You know, I I wanted to see, you know, like what you were saying. Where are those deer traveling? Where are those deer bedding? And then I was going to make those changes. Um, So the big thing for me is we have a ton of invasives in our area. So uh, honeysuckle.
2: Oh, yeah. Honeysuckle. Everywhere.
1: Everywhere. And uh, I knew already that I had to take out a lot of honeysuckle to get that sun onto the the understory. So that was what I started out with was just taking out pockets of honeysuckle multifloral rows and just getting all that out of the way and putting some herbicide down and making sure that's all killed off. Yeah then, what, what
2: specific process do you, you use to uh, you know start eradicating that honeysuckle?
1: Yeah, so I'll just use a chainsaw going through and then we're putting 2 4d on. We first started out with tordon. Uh, tordon's super super strong and we're just doing the 24d with uh, blue dye and just basically putting it on the stump. The younger stand of trees, I think they came through and did a select cut and took a lot of black walnut out. Um, So a lot of the trees that are in there are younger, black walnut, younger oaks. Seems like my more mature oaks are starting to die off, which is a shame. Um, So I'm going to be going in. So I already planted 300 saplings last year, white pine, Norway spruce, um, American hazelnut, elderberry. What else did I plant? American plum. So this year I'm gonna be putting in more hardwoods and um, more of like your shrubs, like um, Dozier dogwood, more hazelnut, red and white oak. Um, So that's gonna be my plan for the spring in terms of spring planting. But after removing those invasives, the big thing was sort of trying to get the ag out and sort of slowly ease my way into CRP and forestry just because I want to knock down the taxes. And then, personally, I've been seeing a lot of erosion on my place. And um, to put some good ford and good grasses in there, I think it's going to be a big thing to control that erosion and just the overall wildlife as well.
2: Yeah, no, I can see the creek kind of running through the middle part of the property. It yep. looks like a, a kind of a big hill there on the, that that same or would be to the east side of it it looks yes. like is there hills up yes. in there in that timber mm-hmm.
1: yes that's going to be that's going to be all so half of it i have a trail going right down the middle of it half of it's going to be i just planted a bunch of pollinator blends that we gathered off of our family property uh, Excellent. So i put a bunch of natives into there and then the other side i'm going to make about a 5 eight, 5 half acre food plot come fall Okay. Um, but I have a bunch of black walnuts coming in there already. So I'll let those mature as well. But the big thing was that I learned that I didn't know. You could probably jump off of this. I planted apple trees all around those black walnuts. And it fried them up. Have you ever heard anything about that, Kyle? You know, the black walnuts are like secreting. They secrete like a chemical through the roots.
2: Why most stuff doesn't grow very well underneath of those yeah uh, yeah that, that's like a pretty pretty acid it's almost the pine trees have a similar thing certain really? pine trees here Yeah. See, see
1: i didn't know that and i spent a lot of money on <laughs> apple <laughs> trees so not
2: yeah but, well at least you learned you know it's yeah, exactly. unfortunate exactly
1: but, i mean we're going i'm going through this process learning along the way and i'm expected to make some mistakes but hopefully i just learned from them Definitely. Uh, we all make
2: mistakes. <laughs> yeah.
1: But I think the big thing for me was to promote and put in more bedding. And to get rid of that ag this coming year, this will be the last year for ag. I'm going to be putting a lot of native grasses and shrubs in there. You know, big blue stem Indian grass. Um, Excellent. That's sort of the route that I'll be taking this next year and probably the next year after that.
2: Okay. Did you happen to... Uh... Look into any local USDA programs to oh, yeah. maybe pull some revenue. You got that. Mm-hmm. that. So awesome. I'm,
1: I'm currently in the process of getting enrolled for the CRP. They'll let me know in April. And then awesome. I have the Equip program, which is basically I get registered. I tell them what I'm going to be doing, what I'm going to be spending, and then they will provide me those funds back, which oh, would be excellent. nice. Yeah, which would be nice because it gets costly spending money on trees, cages, stakes. I feel like everything's gone through the roof in terms of prices of late.
2: Absolutely. Everything's gone gone higher. The other question I was going to ask is if you've had any forest management plan wrote for that property, mm-hmm. you could, depending on your, your local USDA office, you could potentially be getting paid to uh, remove that honeysuckle as well.
1: Yep. Exactly. exactly. So I met with him about three months ago. He has the program written and uh, the big thing that I told him was I don't want him to do any sort of clear cuts. I want a lot of my trees up, but the big thing was for me to get rid of the invasives and, for, yes. you know, helping with planting. So he told me, I'll just take, take into account all the time that I've been doing and, they'll help me with the, the payment of removing that
2: that is terrible. Excellent. that
1: terrible plant of honeysuckle i was going to use a worse word but
2: <laughs> yeah <laughs> well i i joke about it all the time my uh my grandpa got paid to plant that back in the 50s Goodness. and now today Your now God. today i'm getting oh paid to gosh. remove it
0: <laughs> oh I yeah i talking about honeysuckle oh my um, God. i'm like dude i don't even have a honeysuckle anywhere i'm on
1: i was like i must be you're, glad you're lucky
2: you are bad. extremely it, it's, blessed.
1: It's so bad. And we're when we're removing all this, we're like, I swear if we find out whoever brought this over, we're going <laughs> to
2: Hey, you can you can talk to your local NRCS office. They were they were the ones who paid farmers to put yep. it in for uh windbreaks.
1: Uh, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So So Kyle after looking
0: at his property a little bit, just uh even without angelo telling you any of his plans what would be some of the first things you think you'd be doing with that property
2: my my first plan would certainly be to walk it and look at you know what's the timber there could you perform a timber harvest you know what's the value of those trees you know are we getting enough sunlight into the forest florida to create adequate amount of browse you know for the wildlife so my my first initial that would be what I would look for is what's the timber there, you know, walk that Creek line there. I would assume there'd be walnuts down along through there. So can we pull any immediate revenue back out of the property to start helping to reinvest in and improve that for habitat?
0: Okay. And yeah. just how my mind works, there's quite a bit of road frontage on there. So that would honestly be probably my, one of my first thoughts, especially going into the summer that first year, I would be screening the road like crazy. That's just my mindset.
2: Absolutely, I like screening. Really, you know, starting out with some switch initially, and then planting, you know, a staggered row of Norway spruce right behind that to, to be a long term um, block from the road.
1: Yes, sir. I already got the Norway spruce already planted last year, so they're they're looking pretty good. Uh, in terms of in terms of screening off the road, I have the honeysuckle up there right now, so <laughs> I'm I'm leaving that up until i'm ready to take that out and be able to plant in you know excellent i'm, I'm yes. going to be putting hazelnut all up and down those sort of fence rows uh it's that would just be like, very
2: cool we've
1: we've seen just great results with american hazelnut on the family property which is right across the
2: street so okay um, awesome yeah well that yeah that's a great start so then you know, I guess my next immediate thought would be to what's the what are the fields doing right now? Are they currently in CRP? Are they currently in ag? And I'm just going based off mm-hmm. if I'd never ever seen this property. Sure. Uh, look at that from a from a habitat diversity perspective. Is there areas that we should leave? You know, crops. Is there areas that we should add in grasses? You know, look at the terrain. Some of those high spots, I would certainly um, you know focus on for planting tree species and shrubs, creating some of that side cover with those new shrubs and, and trees and really promoting some of that bedding on those south-facing slopes. And then, you know, adding in your grasses, creating that diversity. And then, you know, overall I would certainly be trying to figure out spots to put in some supplemental food sources, like such as food plots.
1: Yeah, that's a, That's exactly it. I mean, I've, everything you've been saying, that's sort of I'm checking off, checking off, checking off. I mean, the big thing that we've done, we love prescribed burns, so we like doing our woodland burns uh, just to get all that and you know, all the leaves burnt off and get some good regrowth.
2: Absolutely.
1: I, I think you're a big fan of woodland burns if...
2: I'm, oh, a big, uh, I'm a big, I'm a huge fan of burns all across the property, whether it's from the <laughs> prairie to the woods, you know, if you can get a burn going through there safely, I certainly promote the prescribed burns. My hands down, my favorite tool for managing for, for natural resources and wildlife is prescribed fire.
1: Why is that's that a good just, little yeah, I was why? Yeah, talk yes. to talk to listeners here.
2: <laughs> yeah. Prescribed fire if you can do it safely and effectively it's going to be your best management practice for for overall for most bang for your buck. And then also for the wildlife.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. I'm the complete opposite of Angela. That's why I want to do this podcast with Angela (laughs) because Angela is like the scientific, (laughs) he does everything like how you should me, everything I do is uh, all my experiences since I was 11 years old, I'm be 29 this year. So I think of everything I've ever been through in the whitetail Woods. And I try to correlate that into my property. And it's a lot different than a lot of people's mindsets. So that's kind of what I wanted to do. This because Angelo's he's on more of your mindset. And I kind of got that mindset of the, the old OG guy who's just had yeah. that property for 20 years.
2: Yeah. <laughs> just trying all sorts of different crazy things. And well, yeah. if it works, it's great. If it doesn't, well, I'm gonna try something new next year.
1: That is me in a nutshell.
2: <laughs> that's awesome. Both sides well, of the spectrum then. I can yeah. kind of meet in the middle.
1: There you go. Gavin, did you want to
0: talk about yours? or? Yeah, we can talk about mine. Uh, Yeah, I'm going on year 10. We got this property when I was a junior in high school. So uh, I was pretty young. Been ate up with white to hunt my entire life. So once we finally had this, the first private ground that we've owned that I've hunted, the rest have been permission properties or we're part of a hunting club. So to have this Property was was amazing. When we moved there, it's these past ten years, it's been crazy transformation. It was it's like twenty seven acres. I'd say there's three to five acres of woods. There's uh, wood lines on both sides that connect to the uh, uh, both to the to the property. It's a big giant rectangle, basically. On the very back side, on the south side, there's a creek that runs along it. On the neighbors, it gets pretty hilly. It's real good. Uh, topography and it's got good ridges in there and then that meets up to the biggest ag fields in the whole area so i'm in a good property it's really high pressured small parcels a lot of people hunt luckily for me unlucky how you want to look at it, i kind of say lucky is uh they're almost all gun hunters so i get bow hunting basically the whole area to myself gun season comes you never know what's going to happen a lot of these bucks stop showing up because they're hiding they're like hey everybody's trying to kill me but when Definitely. we moved there, it was hayfield. So it was all green grass. We would sit in the house. Our house is sitting up closer to the road up on a hill. And the property slowly go, uh, goes down into the bottom of the property where the creek is. There's the main field. That's what I call it. It's the, the biggest. It's probably 20 acres. Then you got my middle field, which is perfectly flat. It's just like primo food plots. So that's where I do my food plots. Then it goes down to the bottom where it gets, keeps a little more water. We dug a pond back there one year and uh, it started flooding and we just let it flood. And it's Very cool. cool. We, we let it flood just because it grows trees down there, like willows. I don't know my trees or nothing. I just just know what they look like and stuff. So we got that. It's kind of swampy down there. And throughout the years, it was hay fields, and you'd see bucks busting across the field in the rut, just going from one property to the other. And they wouldn't stay on our property. You just have to kill them on that as they're going across. And it's only 300 yards wide, 400 yards wide. So they get across it quick. So we're like, we got to get these deer to kind of stay on this property. So we put it in a CRP program and we're going on probably year six or seven. And this is where I'm different from most guys. Like you guys like your burns for me, just, (laughs) just my experience hunting. I grew up in Virginia hunting. There's a lot of cutovers and it it got thick. And um, if it was thick and you didn't want to walk through it, that's where the big giant monster bucks were. So I kind of use that and I'm letting the CRP grow up. Like next year it's going to be seven foot tall, probably in most of the areas. And it's, it's, it's cool though. It's like a CRP. I've never seen a, I don't know if it would say it's good to me. It looks good. I don't know if it is, but it's got like a bunch of cedars in there. It's got little briar patches, American persimmons grow everywhere throughout. it. I probably got four or five dozen at least persimmons that are uh, between five and seven years old. And then we got probably about a dozen mature ones on the property too. So yeah, we're just, just a little different. And uh, this year I decided I want to make a couple more bedding areas. So uh, we don't got much woods. We got woods on the both sides and the little tree lines where it cuts the fields in half. But I'm doing, like, a basically a quarter acre hinge cuts. And um, just to make these little pockets of a bedding area where I know these deer go through, I know they will bed right there in that area just for hunting for years. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a lot different, man. I just – I don't want to burn it. I just like that thicket. And most people think it's really stupid. Like, Angela gives me crap for it, I'm sure. But that's no, just – No, no. And the deer it's... love it, man. I just – that's just why I keep it. I've just, just I do everything off experience. I don't really look at a lot of scientific stuff or what other people are doing. I just do everything like you said. I try it. If it doesn't work, well, it didn't work, you know.
1: Yeah. And like it's what I do. It's not like doing a clear cut and going in and burning the whole thing. Everything that I do is sort of pocketed. You okay. Know? So um, because I love the cover too. I mean, on the family property, jumping off of what Gavin's saying. I've noticed where we've done those clear cuts and removing all those invasives compared to the side that I hunt. I told them not to touch it. (laughs) (laughs) I am killing deer every year on that side because that's where they're all hanging out.
2: That's where the cover is.
1: Exactly. It's just one thing I was having that mixture and that diversity. That's going back to diversity. Yeah. That one is thing cute. I really wanted to ask you, because I don't got
0: much woods, like I was saying, it's between three and five acres. It's kind of hard to judge because it's tree lines. And then I got one section of our property that's got good amount of trees and then a little bit here, a little bit there. But is it worth it for a guy with a 27 acre property? Kyle, is it worth it for me to be doing this TSI?
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Everything like coming back to how many, you know, how, how big of properties I manage, you know, all properties are certainly worth going through there and doing TSI because, you know, potentially there could be walnuts down in there that could produce a good amount of revenue off that for your property. And, you know, in the future or, or up when, you know, say oaks or hickories, there's definitely benefits to doing the timber stand improvement, not only from a uh, timber management perspective, but also wildlife. Keeping that keeping that early successional growth within that property is going to be a key to uh you know continuing to hold those deer in that section. Yep.
0: And I like that your your dreamland wildlife properties, not like dreamland turkeys, dreamland, white you know. <laughs> you're there for all the wildlife. And that's how I do mine. Like, don't get me wrong. I am ate up with white dove. I care about white a million times more than the rest of the animals. And I care about all the other animals, don't get me wrong. Yeah. So. Uh... Um,
2: Yeah. So the reason why I named it Dreamland Wildlife was one, because my mom always told me I was dreaming. So she's like, you know, you're going to run your business. Yeah, I'm always dreaming. But so that's the first part of why it's called Dreamland Wildlife was because when I was in Iowa, I did grow up, you know, whitetails are my true passion. But when I was in Iowa, going to natural resource management school, I had the pleasure of working with the Iowa DNR to rehabilitate some or do some restoration work for a wood nice. turtle that was endangered. So then I was like, I can't just say dreamland wh- whitetail properties. It's dreamland wildlife. We got to encompass everything because if you think about some of these goals and dreams, it might not be for deer. It could be turkeys. It could be turtles. It could yeah. be ducks. It could be geese, you know, keep it, keep it all wildlife. So yeah. I don't like to limit myself to one particular species.
0: Yeah. That's- and I'm, I've always heard this. Um, coming from a professional, if they say if you have like bobwhite quail or quail on your property, you're doing something right. Is that true?
2: hundred yeah, percent. Yeah, that's that goes back to that early succession. You know, having a good diverse habitat and fence rows are, are key and and definitely bobwhite quails. And you know, we got good grouse habitat in the north part of the state. That certainly tells you that you're you're managing properly up there as well. And that north part of Michigan, I'm referencing. Yeah. The, the grouse hairs, yeah.
0: in, here in southern indiana the bob white quail are rare like i've walked a lot of public i've walked a lot of friends properties you don't jump bump, but every year on our this little 27 acre property we jump them up but we do kind of weird things like i just got the idea for that because i like the wildlife too so we got like little squares of fence that are yeah. in like a let's say eight by eight square and we put that right in the middle of the crp and then that grows your briars and that's just beautiful bird and rabbit habitat yeah. and i just do that just
1: because I figured it would work you know so yes
2: tried something out of the box and it paid off
1: jumping off of that I mean removing all that honeysuckle I needed somewhere to put it so I was bringing wood pallets out putting the pallets on the ground and then putting the you know cut down honeysuckle over the top of it and the amount of rabbit tracks and rabbit poop all underneath (laughs) those piles is through the roof so going back to like the quail You know, the fact that I'm seeing rabbit, squirrels, you know, frogs, just a good, healthy ecosystem. That's all I could ask for at the end of the day, which is, which is
2: great, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. That tells you you're doing the right, you know, you're in the right direction for habitat. Mm -hmm. It takes a whole ecosystem, not just one specific species. Exactly.
0: Yeah, exactly. I've never thought about that until you guys just started saying it. But the amount of different animals I see on this little property is crazy. Like yesterday, I think it was a mink, one of those weasels. It oh, was going by. Yeah. There's a bunch of otters every year. We get a whole family of otters or a school of otters, whatever they are. We've had eight in one wow. picture. Every time I hunt the creek, there's wood ducks. I mean, box turtles everywhere. Turkeys are on there. We get a hen that sets up a nest every year on the bottom by the
1: creek. So That's great. Yeah. That, that is incredible. Cool. And how lucky are you to have that sort of diversity in those many species on your yeah. property? It's, I mean. Take it for granted. Very, very fortunate. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, Gavin, the one thing I was looking at on X Maps when we were talking about that is your property sets up extremely well for the prevailing winds of a southwest. Oh, so your, yeah. your access is certainly, you know, great there. That, that sets up yeah, very nice.
0: And I mean, probably nine out of ten times you're hunting that property. Even
1: if the wind says it's different, it's blowing straight north. It's weird. Really? Wow. So, Kyle, what were what do you think about my access point? I'm curious to see what you think for my property. Oh, you got great access for your property.
2: Yeah. So, let me go back to that on X Maps here. Got to get out to India out of Indiana back to Illinois. (laughs) Sorry,
0: that's the that's the one thing. It's kind of hard about my property. The the winds do help, but we have to access from one side of the property. We have to access from the north. That's the only way because we're landlocked every other way from private ground.
2: That makes total sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I walk right through the middle of the property online.
0: <laughs> it's just the oh, best spot because they stay on the bad. edges more. It's weird. Everybody like that's why they're all different. Like I have a main trail that we drive down and I walk right through that, but it's CRP, so they can't see me from where they're bedding yes. and I know where they're bedding and they know we walk, if we walk down, we walk on that trail. So they know that too, though.
2: Yeah. So the access for your property would be, you know, certainly from the North there, but potentially doing some screening along the East border, then back to the North to try to get into that timber. Is there access off that road?
1: Yeah. Oh. I, don't, I, I don't have a, I don't have a driveway. I do have like a strip sort of like an access road that I could walk in. So that's the thing with the beans and with everything getting cut. If I was coming in in the afternoon, I'm walking through an empty field and they're yes. most likely feeding. So it's just being selective on where I'm going in terms of my stand locations.
2: Absolutely. And when, when they quit, you know, that, that goes out of agriculture, you're going to have a clean slate to really create that access for you on those different okay. points of the property.
1: That's what I'm excited about putting all yeah. that switch on that outside putting up all those spruce evergreens and if i could i mean gavin's hammered that home to me he's like oh you need screen I'm like yeah i know
2: yes I've key. Ever done.
1: I've, since
0: i've been doing screen the past three this will be going on four years it's changed my property tremendously
2: absolutely so, yeah that's, that's that's the key is keeping the pressure low on the property
1: and exact that's exactly it. I mean, me doing all that work out there, I have to be out there. You know, this was the first year of me having cell cams. It was a game changer because I didn't have to go out there and pull cards.
2: Yes. Um, yeah. Just but, anything that you can do to re- reduce that pressure on the property is certainly going to help, you know, with your success of harvesting a mature whitetail. And then
1: what I'm thinking is I'm only going to hunt that upper track of timber. I'm going to leave that whole lower 25, 30 alone and not even hunt down there. I'm just going to leave that as a sanctuary two or three years from now, leave it all yes. bedding, all feeding, and not even go down there.
2: That will be phenomenal. That will that will definitely help help keep that, you know, like going back to that pressure thing, keep the pressure low and mm-hmm. give them a safe spot. With, with adequate cover f- food water and cover and you'll be able to hold and maintain a you know mature deer at that point that's awesome yeah. man you're getting me excited <laughs> uh you want to
0: know the, the biggest challenge i have with my property yes my mother she's a walker so the oh. ten, every year every year she understands more that she's like she's like does it really mess up the deer i'm like yes it really messes up the deer mom so she's, yeah. she's finally starting to get that, and she didn't do it as much last year. And I noticed the difference. Bucks were coming to the property earlier because she would usually stop walking like September. That's when I could finally convince her. I'm like, season's in a month, Mom. Stop walking on the property, please. <laughs> I know you own it. I You own it. But I found it, it's just the little things like that. She's she she's not a normal walker. She went and walked the whole property. You know what I mean? So. Wow.
2: You got to get her a park pa- pass.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. She does now. We got to park close. I convinced her. I'm like, go to the park.
1: It's beautiful. There's a yeah. Time. Walked right up your stands.
2: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah, no, both properties certainly have. You know, I I like yours, Gavin. It's set up very nice for the wind, and like you said, you're just trying things out of the box and and uh, seeing what works and what doesn't. I've not. That's the first time I've ever heard of someone fencing off CRP just to let other things grow up in there that's that's pretty unique
0: yeah it it's it's thick man like i'm not going even close to where that fence is anymore it's briar patch but i mean when, once winter hits it kind of loosens up and i'll go walk by mm-hmm. there looking for sheds and i mean rabbits almost every time
2: wow that's awesome. that is awesome yeah, and Angela, yours is gonna you know you, you transform that from ag to native grasses and forbs with a mix of early succession trees and shrubs mm-hmm. and you, know, you plan that out correctly with your entry and exits. So that's going to be a, a very nice property to, to set up on and hunt. Thank you. I'm, I'm
1: excited. I'm looking forward to it. In terms of, uh, I do want to ask you a question. How far do you go out in terms of states?
2: So how, I I can consult across the United States. Uh, the oh, farthest wow. west that I've been so far is Nebraska, and the farthest east has been been New York. Wow. Yeah. So by as far as work goes, we typically like to try to stay within four hour radius in one direction from home base, sure. you know, just to keep the cost down for the client and make sure that they're getting the most bang for their buck as well. You know, I don't, don't want to incur too much cost on a landowner because I need to, yeah. you know, drive my equipment across the United States. <laughs> I yeah. try to look for different contractors that are trusted in, in certain areas and, and allow them to, to continue to carry out their passion as well. Oh, that's nice. So, yeah, yeah.
0: Kyle, after you looked at my property and I told you the type of land manager I am, what do you think I could change, dude?
2: Well, uh, you you're already did the one thing, you know, kind of try to limit the amount of time your mom's walking on the property. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's certainly key. Um, you know, I, I was looking at the map. It looks like you got a food plot there, like you said, in that middle field. Yeah, usually
0: that picture doesn't do it. Just I do it different every year. Like I try different designs and everything. I've done that whole left side into a big food plot. I've done it into corn. This year I'm gonna. I think I'm doing a bunch of rectangle food plots. Like I'm gonna do on each side of that I don't know if you can see the road on there, but on each side of that path, I'm gonna probably do four different food plots of different blends that that'll help the deer. Just because obviously deer like this at this certain time in October and November, and then late season they're gonna eat your turnips and. Uh, stuff like that
2: so definitely yeah no I like the idea of mixing turning it you know transforming it every year and you know kind of seeing what works what doesn't and you know ultimately getting to what you know the the end goal with the property is and mixing it up but I would say you know by putting your food more to the call it the south of the property and or, or sorry put more of the bedding to the south of your property so you you can have those deer coming out towards you to the north. Yeah, if yeah that
0: makes sense because they bed right there. You, you you could see the creek right there. It gets a lot of elevation elevation change, and that's where the bucks are bedding. They're bedding in between that creek and those ag fields.
2: Okay. Awesome. Like all
0: down that creek. I mean, that's just a hot spot for them because it's, it's so much topography. It's pretty thick, and it's just good rolling hills. So my property, uh, it's getting better and better every year with it getting thicker, more bedding and stuff, and our persimmons are growing more, so they're coming in earlier than they used to. The first probably three to four years we own the property, we would not get to shoot a shooter buck on camera until the earliest October fifteenth, and it was usually right around
2: Halloween. Wow, wow, that's that's pretty crazy. Well, hey, there's a we have a property on the, the west side of the state, called south southwest part of Michigan. We don't get a buck until October twenty fourth, and then from October twenty fourth till about November twentieth, we have every buck in the block. Yep, we, it's that's how my the. The bucks just come in there for the does and uh, it's, we've done everything, you know, trying to harvest 20, 30 does a year off that property. And we still, it's just, it's a host to the, uh to the does. But as you know, when there's, when does go in heat, the bucks come running. So mm-hmm. yeah. it's kind like of something property. we've gotten used to. I always yeah. call it
0: a, a doe factory because every dough year factory. we get like for 27 year or 27 years, 27 acres, we get three different farm groups every year. At wow. least, it's pretty crazy.
2: Yeah, that's very good.
0: Which a lot of people, like you're saying, you want to take them out. And I shoot the nanny does, which a lot of people say that's bad. And I got this theory, and it's just one of those things, like, I'm testing. I don't know if you've ever heard this. But they say if you shoot that big, mature nanny doe, and usually these does I'm shooting are every bit of four-plus. I bet I got a couple 10-year-old does walking on the property, and they're they're just huge. But I'll take them out. And this year, my nephew shot his first doe solo, and it was a big nanny doe, and it had two fawns with him. And they say – uh, for the bucks, usually, I don't know about the does as much, but if it was a that that fawn that year and you shot the the mom, you could say people don't like that wording. It's just is what it is. And th- they <laughs> yeah. stay on that property. And I've been trying this theory for about three years, and I'm pretty darn certain it's true. So I don't yes. know. We're going to see once they get more mature, but it's pretty mm-hmm. crazy.
2: I would agree. Certainly at that young age, those bucks are going to stay there. And that, that could, you know, you have the right habitat for it. They're, they're, you could... You know, entice them to continue to stay there. I yeah, would say that's no. certainly true from that perspective. Yeah. No and point of a, them leaving. It, I mean, yeah, if, they, if a, you have
1: everything that, that they need, why why should they leave? Exactly. And it's high pressured, but like
0: I was saying, they just, the people in my area, I could just tell from like how their blinds are set up and stuff from the road. They really aren't the just like most in depth thinker. They go out there with a the gun usually. So that's a, a good benefit for me. Like a lot of the good bucks will die by a rifle, but. Still a lot make it through. Like, I got one buck, old man Jenkins. He, I think he's <laughs> eight this year. Pretty sure wow. he's eight. And he's teeny. He's like, he, he's not going to break 100. But the body on him, like, uh, I'm going to hope, I hope I kill him. I, that's, that's my thing. I love, there's nothing I love more than my 27-acre family property and killing a buck on it. Like, everybody's like, why don't you go search for a big buck? Like that does not mean like the antlers truly don't mean that to me. Like the story and the journey and doing it on yes, my own property. A hundred
2: percent. The habitat works at the time and the investment <laughs> yeah. and, and memories that are made, you know, doing the habitat work and then just going and sitting in that tree on your own piece of property, your own mm-hmm. slice of heaven and, and truly enjoying that hunt. Yep, there's nothing better
1: that's that's when you start to get emotional because then you start to think about all the work you put into it and that's when the tears start running down my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> after
2: absolutely killing,
1: after killing the deer man there's there's nothing nothing more rewarding
2: yeah 100 uh, we yeah uh, today actually we just launched uh thermal drone services we're now offering herd analysis with yep, a thermal Andrew drone took the that. question, took the question right
1: that. out of my mouth attaboy <laughs> Go for it. Yeah, I'm interested, yeah. To, I'm interested to hear about this.
2: I was. We were super excited to launch it today. We did a couple different test plots. Uh, one in particular was a square mile. Um, you know, an average deer population with, with good, uh, you know, uh, call it natural resources mixed with ag and CRP. We had 203 deer in a square mile. Uh, <laughs> it, it was incredible to see. You know, if it's you just, talk- unreal. yes, it's uh that, that drone's a game changer when it comes to really understanding your deer population in your area. And it could be really, truly affecting the growth of your food plots, the regeneration of your natural resources, and also the herd health. You know, you get an overpopulation of deer, you're going to be more susceptible to disease and death and starvation. Yeah. And, you know, it's all kind of all of the above. So it's very exciting to, to launch that service and really see what we can now do with that data, you know, giving it back to the outdoorsman and as well as the DNR.
0: So like for my 27 acre property, could you come there and then do a mile search around it?
2: Absolutely. Yes, we certainly really? could. That's yeah. Yes. Yeah, so take that whole section and really figure out how many dr are there. You could, you can fly up and figure out where the dr are bedding on your property. Um, during the day you can do active buck to doe ratios. It does take a lot longer, but, You know, if you wanted to fly your property, you could really tell, okay, I have 10 10 does and, you know, seven bucks. You can look at that. That is
0: awesome. I would love to do that, honestly, just for my area, because it's like, I do a lot of studying on maps, so I know where these deer probably are, but I don't know for sure. And yeah, one thing that's also I didn't bring up that's cool about my family property, and even though there's four houses that basically touch our property, that, that many houses around, there's actually a sanctuary of what I say. I've never been on it, but just looking from the maps and seeing it from afar, it's probably the best property in the entire area. And it's smack dab in the middle of a bunch of them. And he's a sanctuary. He's like an animal lover and doesn't let nobody hunt it. So that's
2: one thing (laughs) I got going. Wow. Yeah. Heck yeah. That's, that's awesome. No, I'd be be happy to come on and fly the drone out there and you know, really get a good, good number on the deer population in that area. It it It, gives you a lot of intel that's wasn't there before those drones became available.
1: yeah, I I can imagine. It would be,
0: yeah, it'd be awesome. My area would be real cool because I'm real close to the Blue River. I got ag mixed in with like houses and then topography. Yeah, honestly, I might have, once you start getting into it more, I might, if you ever drive down to Southern Indiana, make your way this way.
2: Absolutely heck yeah absolutely get the drone out and do an active herd to herd analysis there
0: yep I've seen those videos it's pretty crazy what these new drones can do oh yeah it's it's, it, it's
2: shocking I mean four hundred feet up in the air and you're able to zoom in and see a buck clearly yep. <laughs> <It's> crazy <laughs> that's unreal
1: yeah. and, uh, Kyle, I got a question for you, and I yes. it always comes up whenever we're doing our meetings of you know we get the neighbors coming together and they always ask the question, how are you guys preventing the deer hitting your pines or hitting your trees that you just planted? What are some of the ways that you go about preventing those deer from hammering your newly
2: planted trees? Really the most effective way that I've found to protect your your new trees is is unfortunately fencing each individual tree. Unless you're in an area like called an apple orchard and you have, you know, ten trees in a square, then I'd probably fence the whole thing and not you know, fence each tree individually. But that is one of the ways. The other thing, if you're planting small enough trees is a bud cap. As long as you protect that top bud, you you can, you can prevent that tree from dying. You know, as long as there's not, you know, a crazy amount of rubs on it. Norway spruce are probably your best trees to plant um, with, you know, they're going to have the highest survival rate if you don't fence them off. But I would highly recommend putting bud cap on the top of that tree.
1: That's crazy that you because I planted about a hundred white pine, I planted 25 Norway spruce. All 25 of those Norway spruce are fine. I would say <laughs> maybe half of those white pines were hammered down to the ground.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's super hard. That was gonna the, I was kind of say The other thing that I've done is I'll go purchase the tree. I'll plant the tree and call it a nursery area for three or four years. Let that white pine grow up to about four or five foot tall and dig that tree out you know you can you can do it with a tractor bucket or shovel and and dig that tree out in the dormant season and then then plant it you know buy yourself a little Uh, bit of time of growth
1: yeah i love
2: that's a good point first
0: first doe and buck were on a white pine forest like planting
1: i love white pines they grow a little bit quicker too but those deer just love them man
2: they definitely love them I would say it's I
1: mean, it's, the favorite tree I've ever seen that they like
0: rubbing. They rub yeah. the crap out of them. Yeah,
2: yeah. the white pines. I really the, love to rub the
0: young uh, black walnuts as well. So, Kyle, Absolutely. what's your favorite tree, man? I noticed you were selling some trees on your website. I didn't look into <laughs> detail, but what what's your? I'm sure you get
1: asked that a lot too. Come on, Maybe Kyle. three. Your favorite, make, or your, make, top three. Make top three?
2: Uh, oh man, well, uh, I'd say the one that's going to take at home number one is the bur oak. Nice. The bur- oak. The- I
1: love
2: it. Yeah. <laughs> the bur oak is hands down my favorite tree. Uh, awesome. It's just, it's such a unique tree, the limbs on it and the growth. And then also it goes right back to wildlife. That is one of the most sought after um, acorn is the bur oak or tails. So uh, top three, um, you know, a strong second is red oak. Okay. Red oak, yeah. You know, I could say I could say white oak, but burr oak's in the white oak family, so I'm not yes. gonna not, a, not gonna give it the number two trophy, but uh <laughs> red oak and then I would say my third probably is gonna be an apple tree.
1: Okay, <laughs> I like it. Those are good picks, man. Angelo loves his oak I'm trees. Happy. I love my oak trees.
2: You uh, can't you can't beat a good oak oak stand. There's
1: there's nothing like it. Especially the burr oak. I think we planted it might be wrong but we planted quite a few saplings of bur oak uh red oak uh chinkapin
2: chinkapin yep
1: yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think what else and we put in some white oaks as well but man there's nothing like oaks man
2: no i love it yeah those are they're incredible <laughs> I'm pretty, trees i'm pretty
1: sure gavin might have hinge cut a couple on his property but i ain't gonna say oh anything. yeah Dude, we have so many oaks in Southern Indiana. I'll cut them down. They're he's big,
2: going under
0: deer bedding. Oh
1: my
2: god! What are you doing? He's going back to trying those things out of the box that everybody would, you know, eat them up on social media. If you're hinge cutting yeah. oaks,
0: yeah. I mean, we're on hinge cutting an oak though. There's, he's got their giant oak yeah. trees right there. I got, I got, I don't. It might be a bur oak. I don't know what an oak it is. I always call it the big oak. It's, uh, I thought it was a white oak. It's huge though.
1: It's like Mm -hmm. the biggest tree I've seen in the entire area. And it produces acorns almost every year It's wild. Well, I mean, if you're taking down those smaller trees that are around that, you know, mature Oak, that's fine. Yeah. And this is one thing I actually want to ask
0: Kyle too. Yeah. I cut down Oaks, but there's something crazy about our property and I've been on a lot of others and I just haven't seen much like it. Maybe it's because I was that teenager in my high school years and right out of high school, uh, plowing legit every acre of this, this uh, property at one point but the d- diversity that naturally grew up is crazy like i said there's american persimmons there's a lot of oaks growing like tons of oaks like dozens upon dozens of oaks so why why did it grow with that diversity and not just grow up with some weeds or something
2: yeah yeah seed bed and then also your soil types really what what helps promote you know those certain tree species okay that's awesome
1: <laughs> You're you're very fortunate to have all those good natives coming up, those good forbs.
2: Very fortunate. Yeah, you have, you
1: have, you have a really good property, Gav. Yeah, yeah, natural natural browse.
0: I'm the best property around for sure.
2: That is excellent. Yeah, awesome. yeah, it looks like it. It sits in between a lot of mature woods, so you got a lot of early successional growth out there. I'm assuming by the aerial picture. Yeah, yeah. And like
0: a buck, you guys know, I've talked to a, a neighbor or two, and I have one hitless buck. He got shot a mile, like a little over a mile of the crow flies. So they travel far, man, especially in these areas like this. My property just lies good. Just how the terrain features are, the bucks, if they're searching for dose, so they're going to come through my property at some point,
2: you know. That is excellent. Yeah, no, it's they're coming through their early succession and good food sources and, and, uh, yeah, it's super cool to hear, you know, about all those different properties and how they set up and you know, just the techniques that you're using, Gavin, is you're you're kind of just going for it, seeing what works. It's <laughs> and that's the fun it. part of the whole thing. <laughs> I love it,
1: it. it is I fun. Love it. it is fun. That's what I'm glad you said that. It's I enjoy the off season so much. Just because mm-hmm. I mean you say that quote all the time, Gavin. Say it. You kill what your you don't season, kill you, girl, oh, that one. You, you don't kill your deer. What is it? The sea, kill you can't the can't kill season. him on the couch. Oh, the Mark Drury quote is: uh,
0: "Yeah, you you kill a deer in the off season, and you shoot him in the fall." There you <laughs> go. Love that. Love that,
2: that. is that hits the nail on the head there. Yes, it does. So, Kyle, yes, man, it.
0: if if somebody if you wanted somebody to know something about your property that we haven't covered, is, is there something that you're like, hey, people got to know this?
2: about my property?
0: Or I mean, your um, company business?
2: Or. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm pretty transparent with everything. You know, I'm, uh, the one thing is, is I, I manage more or less with natural resources. I don't try to add any non-native, you know, new things to the the table. I'm really trying to manage the ecosystem. It's what's currently there because, nice. you know, one of the hardest fights in our life is mother nature and and mother nature, you know, decides what trees grow where. So why fight it? Why not work with it? And, you know, use those different soil types and and uh, work with Mother Nature, not try to work against it. That's
0: yeah. great. I, they had that, like, I can't remember what it was called. It's like your different sections of the country, what trees grow there and stuff. After these persimmons start growing, I'm like, why are these mm-hmm. here? So I looked it up, and it's pretty pretty crazy. Your different parts of the country, how they just, like, naturally grow stuff. Like, luckily, right where I'm at here in southern Indiana, we're in a, a good spot for a lot of just things that grow naturally.
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah, cool. you. Yep. You'll have like a straight line going across Illinois on where those persimmons are going to thrive. Mm-hmm. So, I, w- I mean,
2: <coughs> I wish still- we had those up here. Same.
1: same. Dude, they're insane. They're
2: insane. Mm-hmm. But, yeah.
0: Angel, you got any uh, last thoughts? Yes. Kyle, I want to too much of your time, man.
2: Oh, man, I could talk all day and night about deer habits. <laughs> I, I live for this stuff. I live right. for wildlife and, you know, I, I could talk all night.
1: I do. I do have a couple questions. So you're going into a track of timber. When do you know it's the right time to girdle trees or just drop them? You know, when do you use girdling out of your toolbox?
2: Well, it's kind of all site specific. If you don't want, you know, trees down on the ground immediately and don't have the means to clean them up, you know, I'm gonna Mm -hmm. probably try to girdle a lot of those trees. Um, And and girdle, you know, each each tree is girdled different. If you're girdling a cottonwood, you're going a little deeper into that that cambium layer. If you're girdling, call it a, you know, an oak, you don't have to go as deep with your cut. So I would say it's all site specific. Um, it all comes down to, again, what does the landowner want? Does he want a mess? Does he want to clean woods? Mm-hmm. You know, I've gone to the extreme of going through cutting those trees down and forestry mulching underneath those. So that way it's not a, you know, a tangled mess in that right. property. Now. The other thing is, is you could forest your mulch if the trees aren't, aren't too big, you know, anything six inches and smaller is very efficiently forest your mulch.
1: Okay. Yeah, that's
2: great. You don't want to restrict that flow on the property for a while. Yeah.
0: (coughs) One thing we haven't covered yet is food plots. And I, I I believe you at least make the plan, but do you even plant food plots for your clients? (laughs)
2: I do food plots are honestly the, the last on the list you know if I'm not, if I'm managing the natural resources the right way the food plot becomes all supplemental
1: yep that's great
2: so Man. yeah I, I don't focus on them too much but it is certainly something that I, I do offer as a service as food plots but I, what, I you know again I try to use utilize those as supplemental food sources yep if mm-hmm. that makes sense
0: but uh, if you had to have one go-to everybody seems to have one little go-to seed that they like what would yours be
2: Oh, man. Um, yeah, it goes back for me. I don't have one specific species of, of food plot seed. It would be a, a very highly diverse mix because I want that food plot to offer long, long standing um, benefits to the wildlife. So I want early fall into late winter. You know, I want something that's going to keep those deer. I want them to be able to depend on that when they need it. So I don't have one specific species of, of food plot seed. But, you know, if I I would go with diversity um one you know if I could I could say one you know I'd probably probably truly go with some sort of cereal grain because it's the easiest to plant and 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 deer other wildlife love it yeah I'd I'd go the route of what's easiest to plant (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Clover for me is super easy. Like, I can frost seed clover, especially if it's into an already existing, like last year's food plot, and it pops up real well. Well, one thing I tried only once, and I think I'm going to do it this year after talking to Kansas King John from our team so much, is I'm going to plant some sorghum because I planted that one year. I planted an acre of it, and that held deer for like bedding. It held them like for a very, very long time. It's
1: great for pheasant, quail, rabbit, Mm -hmm. and turkey. That seed at the top absolutely
2: yeah no that is another great species and like you you call it right there it's got that structure to it that helps hold deer in the food plot yeah multi-purpose
1: you know yeah and
2: multi-species for wildlife that thrive on it you you said it perfectly different birds and turkeys and and deer as well
0: do you ever focus on scrapes as part of your plan because i'm a die-hard scrape guy
2: I am, Angelo, you know, like be
0: more of a scrape guy.
2: Yeah. So I, I do definitely love creating scrape lines, especially like in, at your property, Angelo, that, that open ag field creating some sort of connector between that, that Creek bottom over into that hardwood timber is, you know, that you could really guide deer through that with that property, creating scrape lines through there.
1: Yeah. You're good.
2: <laughs>
1: you're, <laughs> you're good. That's that's exactly what I'm going to be doing. I need to send you my plan. I'll send I'll send it to you afterwards. But you yeah, know, I'd love to look. You at know, people that are out listening, he knows what he's talking about. He's really
0: good. <laughs> he is, man. I just I followed you for a long time, Kyle, and I just love your page. You're you're a little little different from uh, a lot of the other people, just the way you go about things. And you got a good following, man. So you're doing something right.
2: I appreciate that, you know, and I've really enjoyed following you guys as well, and, you know, talking with Gavin, the first conversation, we just hit it off, like, it's like we, you know, we've had conversation before, but it was our first time, and it was like, yeah, it's just cool to to talk and be connected with like-minded outdoorsmen and and wildlife enthusiasts. That's the coolest
0: thing about whitetails, man. We can be different walks of life, do everything different in life, but when we start talking about whitetails, we're the same. (laughs)
2: exactly i talk
0: we
1: could talk for days too
2: oh my gosh the conversation never ends it's it's (laughs) it's incredible just the passion like you said with different different guys you know we have orthopedic surgeons from california and lawyers and bankers in new york and we all do something different but at the end of the day when you you sit down with that group of people that are passionate about the same thing in wildlife it's everything else is, is, uh, gone at the wayside at that point. Yeah. So, uh,
0: you, you've grown up, you're, you love whitetails, man. It's the whitetail bloodline. I say, let's kind of end this with a a buck story. Do you have a buck story that comes to mind that you'd like to tell?
2: Oh, my gosh! <laughs> I do. I have a buck story that I actually didn't even end up harvesting. Um, really? I, I was yeah, very respected this deer greatly. It was uh, shot by a neighbor, you know, three years prior. It was actually the year I was living in Iowa. I, I moved back and and uh, that next next fall, I, I had a picture of this deer with a super wicked rack in its head its neck would move up and down, but the base where its head connects to the neck, it always was pointed down. The deer got shot through the neck by an archery hunter and it lived. And wow. this deer created such a crazy rack. I nicknamed it Wicked Games from the song Post Malone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and because this deer was always playing games all summer long, 748, 830, this deer would come right up through the middle of our property and head into our food plot. And I was like, man, this deer is going to be, awesome. It's going to be super fun to hunt him. He's, he's patterned. He's old. Um, I believe when, when the deer was, was, you know, confirmed that it was harvested, it was around seven and a half years old on a 38 acre parcel in Michigan is very unheard of to have a deer of that caliber in that age, but he was smart. I mean, he was smart. He was, he read the plan and the script with our property and went right up through the center where I do not hunt, keep the pressure low. And He'd fall at that, that food, food um, trail system food plot right up to our main destination area, and I have seen him multiple times. But I told myself I'm never hunting this deer with a gun, and I never did. Uh, I was after him for three years, and I had one close encounter where I thought I was going to get a shot at him, but I didn't feel that it was the most ethical shot. It was 45 yards away in the woods, and I I think I had a clear opening, but I just I, I treated that deer with utmost respect and did not at all want to make a, a unethical shot on him so I did not end up harvesting him. the neighbor to the west uh harvested him on, on two and a half acres of um a subdivision property oh my <laughs> so goodness. it was yeah. it was somewhat disappointing but at the end of the day you know it was so cool to have a deer of that caliber and that age living wow. back there and a uh, you know quick story on him he was a mainframe six point. If that tells you anything about his rack, that scored 170. 170 wow. and some change. Wow. Yeah. Uh, did
0: you ever get your hands on it after they got shot? At?
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, as soon as that deer was harvested and, and mounted, I went over there and looked at it and, you know, I just was like, what a, what a wicked deer. I mean, just the deer living in, in that size of a parcel, he lived in the swamp. There was an Island in our swamp that I made specifically, I did hinge cuts and, and things in there to try to get the sunlight and I never go in there and that deer lived in there I had trail cameras on all the exterior portions of that swamp and the deer would come in and out of there and you he just read the script with the plan that I created for the property but you know it is unfortunately I didn't get to harvest them but I had so many cool encounters with that deer That's an awesome. And, and at that age class it was very unique so you know, but that's awesome. for my story, that that's the one I'm sticking to. I I didn't <laughs> harvest him, but he was an absolute super fun deer to have on the property.
0: Yeah, just from that's you saying great. he was really smart. I don't know if you guys have noticed this. I I dove into public land last year, or I dove into it two years ago, but real hard last year. And I went and scouted the night before and saw like thirty deer. And then the next day, we went and hunted and didn't see a single deer. It's like they have a sixth sense of when deer
1: seats comes in. I don't know if you guys ever yeah. seen that in your properties. It's kind of. Uh, they don't get that big for no reason. They're no. smart. Absol- uh, Absolutely. They're smart. they're smart deer. That's why I love hunting them, man. It's a chase. It's fun. It's a chess match.
2: It is. It is. And it, you know, you do, you do say they have that sixth sense. I mean, they can come across the field with the wind in your favor and they'll just stop and turn right around. It's like, man, you gotta be kidding me. (laughs) 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 You can be out cutting firewood in the wintertime after post deer season, you know, 20 minutes later, there's, there's deer all over the food plot. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. if you were walking out there, yeah, it's just, they do have that sense and it goes back to, you know, really keeping low pressure on your property is key. Mm. yeah
0: one thing i learned this year just it's really random and how i was talking about access i would walk right through the middle of the the property and the the bucks they don't typically bed on our property they're bedding off enough so i don't spook them they're starting to bed more the crp is getting better but this happened like four times this year so i'm definitely going to switch things up a little bit or use it in my advantage but when i would walk out the does would come by five or ten minutes later like they were watching me and maybe it was a coincidence but it happened like four times in a row when I was hunting wow definitely got to switch up your access then I got stuck in my old ways I'll be the first to admit it I've hunted that property and like oh I know this property these deer go through here but a property changes through the years (laughs) Mm -hmm. and this year I was like just came to the conclusion like yeah they do and I've been walking the property more and discovered things these past like two weeks that I never even noticed in 10 years
2: wow yeah no it's definitely properties change you know different neighbors change the way they're doing things on their property and it moves deer all over the place
0: that's exactly what happened with us because the neighbor that used to be in between me and a property i could hunt he never hunted he was a hunter but by the time we moved there he basically stopped hunting so that was like a sanctuary right there but now the next guy comes hunts and uh yeah he hunts the way he hunts put it that way <laughs> But Kyle, man, awesome. I appreciate it. We love talking with you. Like you said, that first time me and you talked uh, about doing this podcast, we talked on the phone. We just clicked. So we're definitely going to have to do this again. I, I really enjoyed it. And, uh, Absolutely.
2: Yeah, I really and truly enjoyed getting on here and talking talking deer habitat with you guys and wildlife so habitat. Awesome. And, you know, it's just at the end of the day, it ended another good day with uh, wildlife in mind. it's
0: my favorite thing about doing this podcast because we've been following each other for a while but you don't really get to know somebody through social media and just this little hour conversation we've had i feel like i know you a lot better so that's why i love it
2: (laughs) same here yeah i really enjoyed the conversation you know hopefully the listeners do as well
1: a lot of respect for you dude i love Mm -hmm. what you're doing keep it up and uh there's only so much land out there so we we appreciate what you're doing
2: Absolutely. I appreciate what you guys are doing as well. And, you know, both putting in great effort on your, on your own parcels. And, and uh, yeah, it's just cool. I look forward to hearing the continuation. And, Angela, certainly looking forward to uh, hearing how this ag field gets transformed into a oh, uh, wildlife and, paradise.
1: Yeah, we yeah. might have to do another one and catch up a year from now or something like that and see how all the changes are going on all the properties.
2: Absolutely, maybe even before that. Hopefully, not no, full yeah, year. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll yeah, try to get on before yeah, that. And I'm actually that.
0: one thing I'm excited about. and You can follow along with this, and everybody listening, I'm going to do a a breakdown of my property all the way until deer season because I'm going to only focus on this. One thing I want to do it is because a lot of people only have 25 acres to hunt. They don't uh, mm-hmm. don't feel comfortable door knocking, whatever it is. So I'm going to just prove it. I'm going to say I got 27 acres. You can kill a good mature buck on it. So I'm going to start posting you on go. YouTube everything I do this year and trying to form it and try to kill my biggest Indiana buck.
2: Heck yeah, man. I'm looking forward to hearing that all unfold.
0: Yep. And Kyle, before we get off here, man, where can people find what you're doing?
2: Well, on all social media platforms, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, trying to work on building out that YouTube channel quite a bit. I'm doing some restructuring of that currently. And then, uh, you know, Google Dreamland Wildlife Properties and I have my uh, website up there that has all the services, my the about section of why I do what I do, and, you know, of course, food plot seed, blinds, trail cameras, you name it, we have it on the website, and, uh, yeah.
0: I like the I like yeah. website, it's a real nice website, yeah, I'm, website's I'm about to start great. building ours.
2: I appreciate that. And and certainly, you know, the best way to get a hold of me is give me a phone call. I, I love talking wildlife habitat. And, and you know, any, for any of the listeners, give me a call anytime and would love to hear, you know, about your dreamland.
0: Yeah, well, we appreciate you a lot, man. This was a, yeah. our pleasure Thank talking you, to you. You you definitely put stuff in our heads. I could hear by Angela's voice. He's definitely thinking. You know, <laughs>
2: like, <laughs> the Angela. In the
1: and I'm just yeah. thinking right now. That's awesome. Yeah, this was great,
2: dude. Heck yeah. It. Gavin, I was very nice to uh, talk with you again on here and get on the podcast. And Angelo, excellent to hear about your property. And, and uh, believe it or not, what a what a great conversation for our first time talking. Yeah,
0: yeah exactly. exactly. Hopefully, actually, we'll say definitely, definitely more to come. So we're going to yes, make sir. it happen.
2: Yes, looking forward to it.
0: All right, Kyle, All right, man. Kyle. Have a good rest of your evening. Appreciate yes. it, brother.
2: Thank, Thank you, guys. You, have a good evening. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you.